Today's episode is sponsored by Sparkloop. Sparkloop is the number one newsletter growth platform. I'm in the Sparkloop partner program, and within the first week, I saw my email list grow by over 12,000%. That's insane. Their newsletter growth strategies and options are the most affordable rates I have ever seen on the market. I'm no longer paying between $5 and $10 per acquired email through online ads. Now, I pay as little as $1 for warm emails that stay on my list and engaged for over 30 days. Everything is customizable in Sparkloop, and they will set you up with a team member to help you through the process. Head on over to calenbrecken.com forward slash Sparkloop for more details, or just click the link in the show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Businessscape Podcast, where we talk about all things business, marketing, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Callan Brecken, and on today's episode, I have co-founders of Do The Work, Kate Wolf and Graham Nolan. Do The Work brings people across the marketing industry together to foster connections, share experiences, and collaborate on cultural transformations that support the advancement of the LGBTQ creative talent 365 days a year. Because only when queer marketing talent is inspired, mobilized, and celebrated by the brands and marketing leaders will queer culture creativity translate into meaningful business solutions. We dive into some of those solutions today in this very lively conversation that I had with the co-founders, where we also covered a lot of stats about the LGBTQ marketing world. So with that, let's jump in. Hello, hello, Graham and Kate. I am so excited to welcome you to the show. How are you both doing? Doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> doing good, doing good. Well, how about you, Graham? Uh, the the kind of slightly tired that comes from being a 44-year-old who went to a drag show on a Monday, and I'm still tired from it, And uh, but, you know, supporting the community, right? So it's what must be done. You know what? I love Just that. Just want to be clear. Go it's ahead, Wednesday. Kate. Yeah, oh, it's Wednesday. And I'm That's still tired. tired yes. still is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still tired. Yeah, yes. I love that. Yeah, no, I actually relate in a different way. I play gay dodgeball and it was gay dodgeball on Monday. And for whatever reason, I was the last player on the court for my team, like four out of the 10 games. And I was so exhausted. And I was like, hello, what is everybody doing? That by the end of it, I was walking around back and forth because I was like, I can't be bothered to run. I'm so exhausted. <laughs> This is this is the the burden of queer athletes, right? We just, you know, we excel. There's and just I, so much to contend with. Right. And I just turned 37. So I'm I'm starting to inch up there where my like my knees don't feel so great afterwards. And my elbow, I'm like, why does that hurt so much today? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited to jump into today's conversation because you two are just full of knowledge and I'm I love knowledge and I love data so how about we jump right into it I want to know some insights that you might have when it comes to the LGBTQ community and marketing and the marketing industry because I think this is really important stuff and I don't think we have enough of it so Kate I think I'm going to start off with you yeah, well, let me quickly just explain who we are so we can like go through the data that we've been pulling because it's a really interesting time for queerness in the world. I think uh, uh, we're on the main stage. We've always been frontline uh, in terms of our performance and our contribute contribution to culture. Uh, but right now we are fully in the zeitgeist of political climates and 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 the world at large, truly. Um, and of course that 
directly affects marketing. So we're, we're do the work, uh, W-E-R-Q, because we are queer. Um, and we are designed to be an organization that's going to increase the share of voice representation and, um, and mentorship within marketing subset. So that includes brand work to agencies alike um, and, 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 and far reaching beyond that into culture um, to make sure that we are you know, standing up and and getting the information on the community that we represent. Uh, and that's a big one. Um, so, you know, one of the big things that we're seeing is the absence of data in general around who we are as a community, how we how we spend our money, um, how the representation that we make um, in terms of marketing and advertising, how many people are employed, where, how comfortable they are with code switching and covering. And so in the last year, we've seen a ton of new data come out, which is very exciting for us around, you know, how people see queerness in the world, queer, queer straight alike, how they see us and how we're represented. Um, you know, 72% of people, uh, they, they, they believe that we need to have more queer marketing because we are underrepresented. And one of the things that Do the Work has been doing is we've been partnering with Disco for the last two years, and we run these I mean, we try to make them quarterly reports at this point um, around what's happening in the world. So in terms of our, our, the way we look at, you know, how, the way we look at how we are advertised or how we present ourselves at the forefront of any message from a brand perspective, um, we're seeing huge ticks in, in, um, uh, huge ticks in, 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 um, uh, Wow, sorry, my brain just totally stopped. I'm so sorry. That's never <laughs> happened to me before. Your brain just, she's tired. It just uh, literally, it literally just stopped. You know, it's um, okay. That's perfect because I wanted to say, um, I there's been a huge polarization happening in the world, at least in North America that I'm noticing. And I'm happy we're seeing this data. But on the flip side of that, I'm also seeing the pushback that's coming from us being able to gather and see the data for ourselves. And there was this interesting um, comparison I saw that somebody talked about left-handedness and when left-handedness was outlawed or not outlawed, but it was like, you don't, you can't write with the left hand. That's like the devil's work. And no, then it's, once- uh, It's the, the word for uh, sinister is basically the word for like left-handed people. Yeah. Like origins of that word. Yes. Yeah. And so they went and they showed how once that kind of got abolished, left handedness using your left hand did grow to a certain point and then it leveled out. And they compared it to what we're seeing now that it's like queer people have always been here. We've always been around, but we're still going up to that curve of where we've naturally always been. It's just safer and easier for us to come out. Um, and so I thought that that was really interesting to see where data might be taking us in that regard. But then with that, we get the pushback of all the crazies out there. Because I know Alberta, you know, just started pushing back on things. And Alberta is kind of our redneck Canadian area up here compared to compared to the U.S. It's it's like the Texas of Canada. Um, okay. So, yeah. So <laughs> it, I'd be I, nervous there, too. That's great. <laughs> yeah, <What>? exactly. <laughs> One of the, um, so one of the interesting sort of like, uh, 
again, the, the timing of when we launched. So as Kate mentions, you know, we are in the zeitgeist of all this right now. And if you look at all these major news stories um, that either, you know, happened with Target or Anheuser-Busch in the last year, we were clearly like at the center of those discussions, but also things just in general about like, you know, who's allowed to talk on social media platforms and who's getting censored and who's getting shadow banned. Like that's us as well. Um, starting to give um a ref, you know the the actor strike thing wasn't us but it was also like the the core of that was why are you trying to cut humans out of human stories and that's something that we're at the heart of as well so like we're at the we're we're you know we're in the middle of all these conversations right now when we started about three and a half years ago um we were talking about how we would show up in the world and we were talking about how, you know, we saw other organizations for multicultural progress in advertising and marketing and who wanted, you know, um, if it was a campaign for Hispanic people, wanted Hispanic people making that campaign. And so we were just, and, and some of those organizations um, issued guidelines and they said, you should increase your casting by this percent, or you should increase this by this percent. And um, you should start, you know, doing uh, this with pronouns in your workplace. And, you know, asking Kate, like, you know, one of our one of our first conversations, like, what do we do in terms of our guidelines like that? And Kate's like, we don't have the luxury of issuing those guidelines because all of those groups have numbers. Um, <laughs> you know, you are you were allowed to ask over the last few decades what percentage of your workforce in advertising was women. That's how the three percent movement started. There's an organization for women in advertising. The stat comes from the fact that at the time of their founding, 3% of creative leaders were women. You were allowed to ask that. You, you know, you're allowed to ask race data. You know, there's there's visibility elements to, to those communities as well. Until a couple of years ago, you could not ask those questions of our community uh, without risk of liability for if you fire a queer person afterwards, then is it because you knew is it because you knew that they were gay? You know, there's there was all this stuff. So we're only just now in the position where we're protected enough to start asking these questions at all. And I think that's an interesting sort of fundamental like premise for all the stuff Kate's showing where it's like in three years, we've gone from like, it's hard to even ask about this stuff to now we have like, you know, annual reports where we're able to say like, we can, you know, jump into the heart of all these big social conversations. But even then you still have to be conscious that that is still self-reporting because not everybody's going to self-report that they are of the community. Yeah. And, and we are the fastest growing you know, minority group or subset in the world because we're growing from all sides. Unlike, unlike, um, unlike other marginalized communities that are born into immediately, the, immediately that subset of group, we we see growth of much much later on growth of people coming out now, um, especially in the boomer and Gen X space, which is really exciting um, because while while you know they're always going to go back and forth on, 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 you know, born this way vibes. And I fully subscribe to that on a personal level. Um, I also feel like there is so much code switch and covering, especially with previous generations that um, now they're self-identifying much later on in life. And you're seeing these like waves of younger generations, which is really exciting. Um, self-identifying two to three, you know? Um, so you're looking at alpha and Gen Z where the blend of queerness is becoming more of the majority and probably will persist in that, 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 um, trend for lack of better term that we're seeing in that data. And it's very exciting because we're talking about a huge, huge demographic, one of the largest ever. Um, so if you consider population, uh, you're looking at 
an, a rapid growth of self-identifying folks within the queer space who are coming to power with their vote. They're coming to age uh, in this space where, you know, I like to say sometimes, like, we look at what's happening in our political climate and there is a loud microphone on the Miami beach and they own the, the lifeguard tower, but that progress and community in volume is a tidal wave mm -hmm. and it is imminent. The left-handedness analogy that you bring up works for, you know, what we're, what we're all talking about here is the, there's a um, versus again, some groups that you're like inherently like born to, and it's like very obvious to the world. There's a nature nurture element, right? Like, you know, a degree to which you come out as LGBTQ, the which the degree to which you're allowed to be left-handed because someone puts the crayon in your right hand. Um, the other thing is that I, what are left-handed people like 12% of the world or something like that. I should know more about my other community um, of sinister people. However, um, it's also, you would never, you would never as a marketer and marketers always say, you know, beer is for everyone. This is for everyone. You would never inherently cut out 10% of your market. Why would you cut out if you're so next gen obsessed, you know, 30% of your, your, you're like, we're going to choose like very consciously to alienate them by, um, by not standing up for them and not like giving them a face and all this stuff. And by the way, we have countless studies from before we were even founded. The first stuff that got researched was if we were to show queer people in ads, would it make you buy more? And it was, yes, absolutely. Okay. Allies. If we were to, if we were to, um, you know, show queer people in ads, would you want to buy more? Absolutely. Okay, great. How much more would you spend? And then you get all, you know, as, as we discussed in our sort of preface, like the pink dollar and all that stuff. And one of the funny, like vexing things I was just talking about the other day is in marketing and advertising, everyone says, you know, they may not love the DEI conversation and they may not love pride and the rainbow flags, but if you talk to them about money, then they buy in. And it's like, sure. Mm -hmm. But also now in the last 10 decades, we have 50 fucking studies that say, if you spend on the community and you stick with us when things get hard, you will get dividends. This has been researched like many a time and yet still that's not enough. So there's conversations that we still need to have that I think will take different forms. I, yeah. And oh, oh, go, go ahead, sorry. Kate. I was going to say in that, that, kind of brings us to like money, money is power, right? And we're seeing in, right, I mean, everybody remembers Bud Light. What was that, like six months ago? And everybody is, I mean, it forever feels like tattooed on my brain. Um, and I'm sorry you know, for it, Yeah, yes, me too. We're all, no, nobody thought that Bud Light would follow me after college. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's really interesting because like prior, you know, prior to 2023, let's say summer of 2023, you know, summer of 2022, it's all about representation and looking at the data of how we're being represented and how many ads we're making uh, in June and what is the echo chamber that is the single month of celebration and why are we not celebrating queer people outside of June? Like Graham and I always say, I'm, I'm queer in December. So uh, come talk to me then where you're not hitting the same concentration of noise and saturation of noise. Um, so last year in terms of data, we went out and we looked at, you know, what does it mean to boycott? What does it mean to take your money? And what is back? What is what is taking your money away from brands? What is the power that brands have with addressing the community and making representation? Because 
advertising at Lupine, we like to say advertising and art are the same things, except one of them needs to work. So this art needs to work. It needs to sell product. And if that's what you're trying to do, you should understand the power you have. In that survey, we found that 70% of people surveyed across the 10,000 people we did, 70% um, of them think that brands absolutely have impact on society. They can change. They have that level of power. They can drive purchase consideration, not just, not just purchase consideration from an LGBT standpoint, but across the board, but they can move culture. They can move political choices. 62% pulled down from that 72 said they can directly affect the political game, especially in the U S um, which is, you know, there's some rest in power there and understanding. So if you're looking at a community that's being continuously slammed let's look at summer of 2023 you know it is important that you keep trying from a brand perspective because you have that power and and the enemy of progress is not it's not backlash and it's not boycott the enemy of progress is insecurity in inaction yeah and so we see that a lot. That's just something, you know, and so like, we're always looking at different ways to look at our community based on what's happening to it at any given moment. And that's always what we're trying to uncover with our surveys and data. Yeah. And that's, it, it's really important. I'm glad that you, you brought that up. I, I want to trace back a little bit and say yeah. how I thought millennials, we were really open. I was like, wow, growing up as a millennial, like I wasn't out in high school. There was one out kid in 2,500 kids, but then right after me, like right, the two grades right after me, there was a bunch and then it keeps growing. And as you were saying, the younger generations are more, is the word amalgamated into it's cool, like whatever, it's fine. And I personally believe and look at it, the reason that it, the political polarizations are happening in today's world is because the people who are in charge who are in those places of power are of an older generation, different mindsets, and they're seeing these changes happening and they're fearful of it. And what happens to a dog when it's afraid and it's cornered? It's going to bark the loudest and bite the hardest. And that's mm -hmm. why I feel we are seeing so much of this turmoil happening, even though it's a very small percentage of the actual population that has the very far believing hardcore beliefs most people i would think are moderate to very open and kind of like hey you do you as long as everybody's having a good time and people are making money how does that then play into the brands and the data for that competitive advantage what you were talking about if brands stick with us oh man this brings up so many thoughts and by the way um you know the, the guesses about um how many people are sort of like you know unwind relax and chill about things sorry i just watched the 30 rock unwind relax episode um <laughs> the amount of people you know about like wokeness specifically so wokeness was something that got discussed in the media all the time and um disco again a research partner of ours who did the study with us um helped us we, we just formulated the questions what does woke mean to people and how do they feel about it and if i recall properly about a third of people were just like, I don't like it. About a third of people were like, I'm cool with it. And about a third of people were like, I don't care. Like wokeness is such a like polarizing thing, like was just like all over the place, but then the middle like sort of didn't care. And it was, it's it's very weird. This, this also harkens back to research I did back in the day. And I'm not even sure, Kate, how much I've ever talked to you about this. When, uh, when I worked at a prior agency, we did a study about togetherness 
And it was when things were, you know, because of the election, we're starting to get like really contentious. And we were just like, well, if we're going to advertise like mass advertising campaigns, we need to understand the dynamics of togetherness. And one of the most uh, terrifying things about the desk research for that, like how we were going to formulate our questions and just like with the foundations of this is a bunch of really brilliant strategists looking for all these different definitions of what together meant togetherness meant in the world. And they could not find one that did not include the otherness of some other people that they had to rally against something else. And, and that is like, so it's like, oh, wow. So is there no community without any of this? Um, it's kind of weird to me, Kate, we've talked many. So one thing we have talked about a ton that you just said was the whole thing about how, uh, and I love when you say it, is that um, uncertainty is the enemy. Hate is not um, is not the primary enemy. Uncertainty is the enemy and lack of confidence and like making action. And it was the first time, like just now that you ever said it, where I thought, you know, hate is almost like, dependable at this point which is a terrible word for that but it's just like it's just a constant like if in this society if you look at the nature of humanity like I want good things as much as anyone else but like society gets you know communities often get built in reaction to things they don't like and there's and we will not always be liked by everyone yeah communities are built um against opposition or commonality and normally commonality is a joint in a collective thought and that thought tends to have an adversary. So like, you know, the, everybody knows the term survival of the fittest. That is that is true for us, which means you need to be more fit than something else. And that is how we operate, even in the most, even in the most uh, like elaborate and complex society, we, we always are looking to be more fit than others. And, you know, that that's a tough thing. We We've talked, you know, again, like, there's been a huge, I mean, look at Florida, look at the drag ban. There's just this huge uptick in, you know, more anti-LGBT laws in history past this year than collective years before. I mean, that is an, that is a horrific, uh, horrific um, fact. And we look at, we look at that and say, okay, the, to be a really big person, you take a major step back and you say, okay, they hate is 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 volume people do not hate i i am a true believer that people do not hate queer people they are mad at the world that is constantly changing around them and it's a displaced mm -hmm. anger because of survival of the fittest i don't think any person really reasonably and rationally cares who somebody's fucking like or like who they love it it it, it is it is an irrational behavior yeah. and so it, it is a place you park things because and that's why you don't engage because they're not looking for solutions they're looking they're looking to expound anger and energy around something they cannot do anything about and so feeling helpless is a is it has a fight or flight right mm -hmm. and and you know the hate the hateful right they're feeling helpless you and are hitting like that's a big like sociological sort of like framework for which to look at it but like you know and one of the things that i think you know we're sort of recognizing over time is that you know in this it's not it's not even like people against people necessarily like you know if you're feminist it's not because you hate men it's because you hate the ideological ideal ideology of like you know um uh you know of hatred of women patriarchy yeah, patriarchal patriarchy. society. Thank you. Yeah, patriarchal yeah. society, which, by the way, 
men and women and all people participate in somehow, right? Like, you know, there's all of these, um, there's all of these like larger ideas. And the good news is that we are uh, in the business of ideas. Um, I think yeah. that, you know, uh, we are in advertising and marketing. And I think that like alongside um, entertainment and just entertainment storytelling, we are the ones who are in the position of like telling stories about ideas. And so it's like, okay, if it's a battle of like ideologies, not a battle of people, if what's being rallied against is not like us as human beings and who we're fucking, but just the idea of us and where we fit in the world, then good news. We have a great advantage. Like creativity is is ours. And we talked about this in our our plan for the year that um that we that we have a great advantage in this industry in this world that like me being gay is not about me liking guys me being gay is about me loving whoever i want and representing that however i want that's creativity and if you look at the mm -hmm. opposition like you know it's like they found new ways to do book bans but it's book bans they find new ways to you know to put ban us on the internet but it's still internet bans like all of the tactics for opposition are still the cessation of creativity meanwhile like left-handed people it's like that doesn't make us go away <laughs> so you know we as a we as an industry and we as a very specific community at do the work have a great advantage we we feel very heartened like you know i think the vibe for our meeting this year was like well another like fucking tough year for us but also like we're the people that like know how to tell stories better than anyone else and represent ideas so like let's make some good things happen yeah yeah i want to take it back there's i used to work for this corporation and their training was it's not you it's the uniform they're not angry at you they're angry at the uniform. They're angry at what you oh. represent and they don't what have, uniform? What <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And it, it's, it's, yeah. it, it's the same for the community. I feel it's not, it's like you were saying, it's not us. It's not who we're sleeping with. It's not those things. It's the anger and frustration. We are wearing the uniform that they're getting angry at because that's where they're being told to direct their anger at. Mm -hmm. But my true belief is it is, uncertainty and poverty and the fear of not being able to just get by and survive which is not from queerness we didn't do that it is yeah. from multiple factors and laws that should be changed and tax structures that should be changed but we don't have the power to change that and then people get angry and frustrated and that's where that anger should really be directed and then that anger is deflected back to us so that people don't actually have to make those changes because it is serving them it is not serving us yeah i uh fully subscribe to that i actually think i can get it even more narrow uh my own again this is my own personal belief but i think a lot of the anger that's pointed at the queer community is manifested from the internet not living on the internet manifesting because of the internet i think a long time ago we the greatest generation bootstrapped their way into american history in terms of capitalism and built the empire of which we all feed from now right uh, in some way or another um the boomer generation was made a promise by their parents that when they were done when they were 60 they got to sit in a chair and stare for the way their parents did and they were they had worked their time it's like being told that at the end of working for the rest of your life you actually get a vacation but when the internet came out in the 90s that said no 
And what has happened is it's created a point of ease, access, and information in a way as it's built over time that has demanded every living person, especially in the U.S., every living being needs to know and continue to be educated and the changing landscape around them because language is iterative. It is changing every day. We just put Riz in the dictionary. Like we are, we are changing everything all the time. And so you have a generation who is tired, who has been, who has been made empty promises and they are, they do not want to engage with this anymore, but younger generations, because of the access point and the visibility and the ease of information have required everybody to stay locked in and in tune. And that is a really, so you talk about fatigue, talk about frustration. It's, it feels like something has been taken away from older generations and it, and to be clear, it has and it has because we are a growing society that is hyper-connected in a way that we've never been before. And it continues to grow over and over and over again. The way, I mean, we used to say from a queer, everybody knows this, queer, queer thing, see it, be it. That's why we want to make representation. We want to make stories and we want to make um, content and we want to make messaging that young people who are finding out internally who they are as they're growing up and becoming their full self can see the options that are in the world so they know that they are options. So for older generations who had to manifest what queerness was from nothing and talk about creativity from nothing because they felt it in their bones and their brains and their heart and their blood. Like they don't, so these new generations don't have to do that as much. They can see it in the world. And like, that is why we are constantly connected. It does more help than harm, in my opinion, mm -hmm. for, for people that are other, because you can actually see things and not feel so lonely. So that's so, and so important, but it also has created this crazy system of exhaustion, especially for people that don't want to keep up. And that was a huge thing with our last disco report. Uh, Graham touched on it for a second there, but like we, we started with wokeness, backlash and boycott. And we started with just a simple question of like, what do you think they mean? And it's like, not even just like, do you care about them? But like, what does woke mean? Which is great because, and you know, and the and the, the 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 breakdown was alarming. You know, it's you know, you have people think it's like leftist leftist um, you know language uh, that's weaponized. You know, so leftist language. Some people say it's being awakened to the in um, equities of our society and and platforms for other communities. That is the correct definition, by the way. Um, and the the other side is saying, you know, third, 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 which is what Graham was kind of touching on. The other side is saying it's a weaponized term by the right, you know. So this is th this is problematic in itself, right? And because you're saying the word and you're saying different things, so everybody's fighting and using the word everywhere, and they're all saying different things. So the communication is all broken down. And then you know you look at boycott and how people boycott in action is different for every person. So like the way they, the way they consider boycott, older generations think boycotting is just opting out of, of, uh, or considering sometimes opting out of, of a product for a duration of time. You know, some people think that, uh, opting out is, is not enough. Younger generations are saying, no, no, no. For me, boycott is opting out and taking to social mm -hmm. and using my active voice. 
And then some are saying, no, it's just, you know, I, I just turned off their social or I stopped following, you know, so there's all these different definitions that we're seeing. So even in, when the response is, how do you feel about wokeism? Oh, I'm boycotting this or that. They're de- everything is. De- so one person is saying the exact same words and they're saying totally different things than the person sitting next to them. Mm-hmm. The definitions really are inter- matching up. No, because language is iterative and we've democratized it. So like, you know, I am glad they added Riz to the definite, to the, to the, you know, Webster's dictionary. It's, it's important. I for, personally think I have it and I you definitely you know, got least, Riz. Yeah. Thank you. At least that's why I tell my wife. And she says, what are you saying, old woman? Um, but, um, you know, yeah, I, I just feel like that's a real thing that we don't talk about enough, which is, you know, the world is changing around us and that is creating the turmoil of which we're all surviving. Yeah. I think in a very broad sense, just, just, just that people always, you know, and, and when people always say that like, you know, things are harder for us than ever. Like, you know, if so now if you're going into these social media feeds and you're, you know, you're seeing how much we're being boycotted against and how much our existence is being rallied against. Um, I still pull a lot of optimism from the fact that like, you see our pain now great like you see our suffering now because like you know 30 years ago it was to the point where like you know our stories weren't being told violence against us wasn't being reported we're able to see it now that's another thing that without social media wouldn't be possible and everyone says that actually in regards to a lot of conflicts like we wouldn't be seeing these specific terrible things happening if this if this wasn't the thing and and other one other sort of related point just uh, kate you sent me a, a twitter sort of like someone's like series of tweets like you sent me this like two years ago yes thread um can you tell that i'm not on there because the platform makes me nervous i deleted Um, my my x i deleted i was like it's called it's called x now so for those who are listening (laughs) we did those in quotations with our fingers yes (laughs) um i don't still think of x as a drug that people were doing in 2001 um so there was this thread that kate had sent me that was um someone who really articulated well and i wish i could credit them now with the fact that like there's also no compromise sought by the people who are opposed to us so we've talked about like you know the fear that comes from it and it's you know it's just like we we just want lgbtq people to tone it down and they want you know we want them to like no 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 because once you once you get target to get rid of their pride collection then you want us out of the ads then it's they will continue to rally against something it'll always be something and as we've discussed that's misplaced anger that's misplaced fear or whatever but there's no compromise to be sought in this they want us disappeared so the fact is that you know and they want that scapegoat so um yeah the fact that like we're talking about the unfortunate suffering of new lgbtq communities is actually like weirdly evolution for the fact that our plights are being visualized and again we are an industry that not only is in the position to do that but like we always talk about how like we if brands love problems and brands should love problems like that's what they're solving for people in the world um they should love queer people we've got tons of them and by the way our number one problem is not that we needed one more go-go dancer with abs at the pride parade it's that you know like lgbtq people are disproportionately homeless what's your campaign for that like if you want to and sex trafficked and sex trafficked truly youth highest 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 rate of sex trafficked youth are lgbt oh and also we saw a stat, we do, we put together the Queerly report. Um, if you go to dothework.com and you go to our newsletter, every quarter we have all the stats that define like queer marketing. And one of them recently just sort of showed queer, queer young people don't sleep well. Mattress companies jump in. Every pillow company that's hitting me up on Instagram target queer people. Like 
honestly, like, you know, it's not to say that you should capitalize on suffering necessarily, but like good campaigns provide solutions to a subculture's issues. Um, we, again, we should be your best friend. Also, marketers always say they want data and they want to understand things. And then it's like, okay, well, why don't you um, do any, any sort of surveys that allow us to put on our pronouns or how we identify? Well, that's too much. Really, I've never known a marketer, a smart marketer who didn't want more data and more intricacy of data so they can like, you know, cross reference, this is my target market and this is all the aspects of them. Like we are a data marketer's dream. There's so many things that like, if you start with queer people and you make them the focus for your marketing, you will be better at every other kind of marketing. There is mm-hmm. so much that was just said here that I want to unpack <laughs> so much of it. I want to start off with, uh, the younger generations of, um, no, first off, the hate, yes, it exists. My YouTube channel, the only comments I ever get is hate. I I rarely, rarely see, like, this is great, this is awesome, this is amazing on my YouTube. It's always hatred, and that's what drives the algorithm. And that's one side of it that I'm not even going to dive into it. We would talk for hours about that kind of stuff. But I want to want to hear you talk about that, though, your gay water episode touched on that. Right. And how much that brand got and how it was dealt with. Masterclass. Um, But I'm really curious about this boycotting idea of not just brands, but when you were talking about it, Kate, I was thinking of it from a youth perspective to a older generation perspective of Mm -hmm. youth boycotting the status quo of how life was. And that that is what is driving the fear for the older generation, which is then causing them to point the fingers at the queer community being like, you're the problem. And it's like, no, it's the whole of everything that is the problem. And the younger generation is seeing it because of the ease of access to information that they are now pushing back and quiet quitting and doing all of that and, and boycotting the status quo because they see through the bullshit and they can't wait to change it, but they're not willing to wait to start changing it. Yeah, there's a level of impatience that comes with um, anybody that is, you know, young millennial and down. And the reason why is, you know, DNA, the D stands for digital. It's in their blood, their brain. They were fully mapped. They're, they're, they're truly the, the, the brain mapping of a child that was born in the 80s or 70s is wildly different than a brain now of the same same cul-de-sac in Ohio. Like it is, they, they, they physically look different because of the level of digital um, screens and information of which we consume on an everyday basis. So we are evolving. We are animals. We are evolving across the board. I mean, uh, 20 per, I'll, I'll, I'll roll out some of the stats like actually from Boycott because it's really interesting. 20% uh, of those folks surveyed in our in our last run with Disco said that they'd immediately stop using um, a product and tell people in social circles that I do not support it, but not take to social media. 20%, that's how they define boycotting. 22 said they would immediately stop buying it, but keep, them thought, keep their thoughts to themselves, right? And 23% said they'd just continue buying as usual and maybe call it a boycott, which was interesting. You know, like they'd say it, so there's a little bit of performative there. Like I'm boycotting it, but I like still get, you know, I still drink a Bud Light if I'm at a stadium, which by the way, is a real thing. Like if you're at, if you're at SoFi Stadium, you're going to drink Bud Light if you want a beer, because that is what's offered to you. So like there's some, there's some um, truth to that, but those numbers are dramatically skewed 
the the 20% is almost entirely the younger generations that say, I, I talk about it. Like I take action. And that is that level of impatience that you're talking about. They, they immediately say, I don't want to do this. And I need to tell everybody because I need to, I I don't want to have a discussion about it. It's a full stop decision. And I think that's a really interesting thing. It's very powerful. And it also can be really harmful. It's, it's, it's both. It depends on how it's applied. It's a, it's a good um, marker of cancel culture, you know, and, and, and I do believe in cancel culture in some ways because it's, you know, the overcorrection that's required for a broken system. Right. So you're looking at things like that. Mm-hmm. And, but on an individual level, it feels hard. There are always going to be in any case by case, you're going to look at stuff and you're going to be able to make excuses because the world is built in gray boundaries. How we look and perceive information is not always how it's intended. You know, even even at Lupine, we talk when we get into any kind of any kind of tension in the office between individuals. One thing I always say is, perception and intention are the same, are different sides of the exact same coin, and they don't always they don't always mirror each other. So, like you can do something and be perceived as you know doing it wrong, and then. And then whatever that perception is, feelings are real. Like how somebody perceives a situation is as real as how it was intended. So you have to meet in the middle. Anyway, it just feels like we are at this place where we have a really active, mobilized, younger group that is going to force changing, force changes. And it's going to be painful. And it's going to be hopefully for the betterment, but it is going to happen. So I want to take- Does that- yeah, I, I want to take everything we've all just said collectively here and what you've just said here and reframe, how do we take that and reframe the conversation around LGBTQ marketing to transform our current polarizing landscape? Because I think that's a lot of the work you two are doing is reframing the data and information to construct that future outcome. Yeah, I mean, I will, I will say yes. One, um, we talk a lot about the pain that we're feeling and the things you can see in culture right now, the topics at hand, the different legislation that's being passed on and on and on and on. It feels heavy and all encompassing. Um, That is the tension and pain of true progress. We are real believers in that. Mm -hmm. The bigger the target, the more to hit. So that means we are seen more than ever. And there's a direct correlation with representation and visibility and hate. That is how that works. So that is not a bad thing. It is just painful, but it is not necessarily a bad thing. We can move through it because our we're being seen more than ever. We have, you know, it's all press, no, no press is bad press kind of thing. And there's some truth to that when it comes to representation and being seen, whether or not it's, you know, inciting negativity or hate. Um, It's still a topic of a conversation we're being talked about more than ever. So we need to just mobilize and get in front of it. Um, Bentley, Bentley University and Gallup last quarter, like late fall came out with this great study around brands. They, they actually said 88% of people believe that businesses have really, that businesses and brands have an incredible power to change how, impact on the individual's lives. Like the things that brands can do because they control the economy can really step forward and actually make a huge difference on an individual level for every person. So that clearly directly affects LGBT when you're under attack. But a really interesting thing about that is they found that only 8% of the 88 people, I mean, the 88% 
uh, of people that believe they have power, only 8% of that grouping thought they're doing it well. Like that they're at all, like at all helpful. They think they're extremely ineffective, which is which crazy. Is, and it's why it's you're 80%. Seeing these studies. Yeah. It's why you're seeing these studies pop up. So like two years ago, there was all this Gen Z wants you to talk about this. Gen Z wants you to talk about this. And like lately, we've seen a couple more studies that were like, Gen Z doesn't want you talking about all of this. Actually, we're less comfortable with a lot of companies talking about, um, you know, issues of race or issues of gender and things like that. And we actually want you to focus on sustainability and things like that. There's there's this shift in, in conversations that the consumers are willing to like let you have. And you could really easily take that mistakenly as the reason to go like, oh, they don't care about that shit anymore. It's not that they don't care about that shit anymore. It's they don't think you're doing it. And they're tired of you talking about your willingness to do it when you're not delivering on it. When you are, because most of you companies are not in that 8% who's actually doing things when, you know, we 88% of us think you could be doing things. Um, taking and, and should and be, and should be it. doing Taking yes. a pig and putting lipstick on it and saying, we're doing the things. Yeah, don't even say it now is is the point that the younger generations are at. and Because they're think calling they, the bullshit. They can see it. I think that yes. there was something interesting about how you framed the question about like the, you know, the language and the discussion that we be, should be having for this progress. Because, you know, Kate, yes, absolutely. Like this is, this these these pains are, are the signs of change. And like, this is what you, what you see. I do think the discussion itself is going to change though. Uh, I, I've talked to an ethics class this week and they basically, you know, the, the, the point of this is, you know, how are these students going to use, use ethics in the world? And I'm talking to them about my experience with it. And I talk about how I do the work. We are constantly having ethical conversations. However, I don't think that in the average call, Kate or I ever says ethics. I think it is a word that when people hear it, they're just immediately, they go into a place of, do you think I'm a good person or, or a bad person? Do you think mm -hmm. I'm unethical? Like they take it personally. The same way people do this all the time. They take one aspect of their identity and they use it as proof of whether they're a good person or a bad person. Of course I voted for so-and-so. I'm not a bad person. Of course I did vote for so-and-so. I'm not a bad, but like, you know, it's, it's all about whether or not you're bad. And there's this very personal thing about it. I think DEI has become a conversation that is about how you feel. Of course, I'm not a bad person. I want everyone to have equality. So then it's like, okay, well, if that's become a discussion of emotion, then maybe we have the money discussion. But as I mentioned earlier, we have 50 reports that say you will make the money. So finance isn't the language either. I think that the next couple of years, and again, we are in a great position as communications professionals to do this, is finding the conversation where people won't inherently make it about whether or not you're good or bad. And it's not just about money because that seems too far away for people to tap into. What's the thing to talk about in this that will lead people to action that doesn't motivate them by guilt? Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, my thing is like patience, Iago. Like it's like <laughs> brands need brands need to slow down on the KPI report quarter to quarter and look at long-term investment in audiences. Mm -hmm. Like the, I think the age of immediacy has really, it's, it's really hard. So like, if you're looking, if you're looking at CMOs, they're looking at their, they, nobody's given grace. CMOs mm -hmm. are being judged quarter to quarter on performance. And so they need to see immediate results. I'm not going to say something totally shocking. The what Gen Z wants is different than what boomers want. 
<laughs> yeah, big time. And it's oh my true. god, oh my god. So if you deliver to Gen Z, is a different generation not going to like it? Oh my god. Um, and they have money right now. They have money right now. So you see maybe a dip in something, or you get a lot of like you know, uh, turn up the volume on the media and you get a lot of negative attention all of a sudden for, by the way, negative attention is like a, you know, the, it's you wait out the storm. It's a, it's a storm. It's not a, it's not a platform, you know, it's not long-term planning. It's a hiccup and it goes away. Everything is so ephemeral. Like your memory, we have the, we have less of an attention span than a goldfish, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm sure people listen to this. I've mentioned Bud Light before. I was going to go Bud Light. What happened with Bud Light? Um, because it's always <laughs> changing. So, so it is crazy to think that you need immediate results. And if something bad happens, that if, if there's noise that immediately outweighs the, the long term growth and audience retention, you can build over time for younger generations that will future proof your product or service. Yeah. It's like right now, sorry, right no, now we are kind of the products of the systems we set up to this point. And it's, it's created the this or thatness. It's either you're with me or against me. -ness. There is no middle, there's no gray in the middle anymore. And that is where humanity is humanity at its best, I feel is when we can come and sit at the table. Do I like certain people, especially certain political people? Yeah. But would I still sit at a table with them and have an open conversation to better understand them and hope that they do the same for me? Yeah, because that's how things change. That's how minds change. And that's how we progress into the future. But that's not profitable. Well, yes. when, we, when we did that together. Immediately. Immediately profitable. When we did that, when we did that together in this research, one of the, we wanted to make the methodology in itself a reflection of the topic. One of the things that we did was um, we went down, I think we were in Dallas and Denver, and we picked these people who were from politically opposed, you know, positions or whatever. And we put them in a room together with a camera and to just sort of see what it would take to sort of bring them together on certain subjects. And, you know, asking the team who ran the research in the field, they said when someone would get there first, they'd be like, all right, who's my opponent was the thing. And then they had very civil conversations and the camera helped, held them accountable. And afterwards, Many of the participants thanked us for the opportunity to talk to someone in a forum where it was expected that there would be some degree of respect for each other. It was like they were grateful for this, but there's no space for it. And, you know, in that space anytime soon, I, I feel like people have made the experiment in social media where it's like, what if we have the algorithm that isn't based on contentious stuff rising to the top? And, and that hasn't quite worked here, but like people want these spaces. And again, if that is something that is a problem where people have a deficit of that, marketers can step in and fix that problem somehow. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm very optimistic that that can happen. And I mean it when I say patience, Iago, it's like, the worst thing, the worst thing a brand can do is make an initiative or attempt to engage and then leave you stranded when something negative happens. That is the, that is the worst because what it's actually doing is it's, it's rewarding and incentivizing hate speech. That's the problem. You are showing action based on noise. 
So hold the line is what we say at Do the Work. Hold the line because the line you're standing on, that front line, is a line that the community lives on. We can't get off of it. And so just standing there with us, that we, we say allyship feels passive. Accomplice is the term I like to use. Like accomplice takes action, stands, and bears the brunt. And if you do that, media storms, again, they're ephemeral and short-lived. So like hold the line and build the respect with the audience because they're not looking for solutions. The, the, the people that are getting really upset, that are blowing up cases of Bud Light, looking at you, Kid Rock, like that are taking to social media and doing something violent and showing hate in violence. Firing your CMO is not going to help that. It's incentivizing it. <laughs> yeah. So you're doing, so now you're doing two negative things. You, one, are alienating the audience you set out to support. And two, you are incentivizing the hate groups that come from marginalized communities. So I think there's hope, but hope is designed from, let's get that 88% of power back and apply it and then stand with it when it mm -hmm. gets hard. Yeah. And and it's it, and and you know honestly it's turning your phone off. That's what you do. Just wait it out. Definitely. And I also I want to wrap things up with this. I think a large portion of that also comes with earlier, I think maybe before we started recording, Kate, you were sharing that Lupin is owned and operated by you. There is no shareholders that or like investors you have to answer to and your focus isn't about making them money. It's about what's good for your people. And I think yep. that if people and brands focused more on that of their best asset, which is their people, the money would come and grow. But it's that in-between period of we're not patient enough to get there that is screwing everybody up. That is exactly right. It's the, it's not waiting out the storm appropriately, you know? Like, I, this is a terrible analogy, but like, this would be, we're having a lot of rain in Los Angeles right now. And this would I be heard. the equivalent of this. Yeah, this would be the equivalent of like, oh, it's raining for three days. I better move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it, so, it, you know, it is really about, you know, we talk about the fatigue that younger generations are having because they're saying, I'm tired of the performative nature. It feels performative when it's, when it's either not acted on or. Ren, ren, like reneged so like mm -hmm. i don't know i i think we just need to do a better job of being humans and showing our humanity and saying there's so much power in we made a mistake there's so much power in that mm -hmm. and so I, I want i want bud light come talk to me i'm here for you you have to remember, like one of the most one of the most exciting things is that, like you know, we are the first uh, part of society could have, that can have ever experienced cancel culture, and then we are the first generation that can ever see what comes after, and we get to decide what that is and how much grace we show, and and you know, and to how much patience we show, and how virtuous we can be in you know for the sake of building a better world. Yeah, people don't have the opportunity to grow if you cancel them, and that's why you're canceling them because you want them to grow. So you yep. have to give them the grace to grow. Yep. This yep. has been a absolute riveting conversation. We went way longer than I thought we were going to go, but I just couldn't help it because you two are just such a vast well of knowledge. I want to thank you both for being guests on the podcast. And I 
would welcome you back any day. We'll be back next week. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. It's, too, it, it, it's been great. Thank you so much, y'all. Thank you Thank both. you so much. Wow, what an absolute lively conversation that I had with Kate and Graham. I did not want to end that episode. I could have gone on forever. Thank you so much for tuning in today and also happy Valentine's Day. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you really like today's episode, I would love a star rating from you and also share the podcast with your friends. The Business Gay Podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, Callan Brecken. And if you're looking to get some SEO advice or get an SEO audit, you can head on over to callanbrecken.com forward slash audit and set one up with me or just click the link in the show notes. That's it for today. Peace, love, rainbows. Oh,